We continue today in chapter 3 of Ephesians, the New Testament letter written by Paul. Today I'm going to be preaching verse 3 through 6 in a sermon that I've titled, The Mystery Made Known. Look at our passage with me. I'm going to read it in context, including verse 1 and 2 to begin. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Look with me at verse 3 as we dive in this morning. Paul says, "...how the mystery was made known to me by revelation." as I have written briefly. First, the way Paul uses the word mystery here does not mean, and you need to hear this clearly, something that is completely unknown or something spooky. The Greek word, mysteron, from which we get our English word mystery, here means something that is known only to whom it is revealed. This is the mystery. In other words, the mystery is not a a puzzle waiting to be solved, but instead it's a secret only known to whom and when God chooses to reveal it. There are 19 uses of the word mystery in Paul's New Testament writings. Four of those are found here in our letter of Ephesians. There are also seven uses of the word in the Gospels and in Revelation. Paul has already introduced us to the mystery in his opening words of this letter, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Look there with me for a moment by review. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He also speaks of one special facet of it when speaking of God's design for marriage that we will see here and see eventually in chapter 5 when we get there in Ephesians 5. But it is here in chapter 3 where Paul aims to spend the most of his time illuminating the mystery for believers in Ephesus and therefore us believers today. While our focus today is on verse 3 through 6, also notice with me that Paul mentions this mystery in verse 9. He says there, To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I want you to notice that both in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, which we studied already, and here in Ephesians 3, verse 9, which we'll study eventually, Paul gives great insight into where the mystery was initiated. Let's take a moment to start there. Again, looking at Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, 
which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. According to his purpose, set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This is talking about the covenant of redemption. The Word of Truth Catechism gives us a great and clear answer in question 56. What is the covenant of redemption? The covenant of redemption is the plan and decree made before creation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to graciously redeem the chosen ones from sin and punishment based on the work required of Jesus. All of creation is set in the context of this divine plan. It is in the covenant of redemption that God sets out to save undeserving people to himself through the work of Jesus Christ the Redeemer. The Bible is clear that there is no salvation for anyone without God's predetermined plan to save. Understand what that while Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what they knew God would do, and when He would do it, and for whom it would apply, this covenant of redemption to everyone else was a mystery until God chose to unveil it in seasons and in layers as He sovereignly willed to do. For example, the plan of redemption is declared after the fall to Satan and our first parents, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3.15. The promise of the royal redeemer to defeat sin and death. And then more layers of God's plan to save are, are unfolded in the old covenant promises to Abraham and our forefathers in the faith until it is finally fulfilled in Christ and the new covenant is established. As we mine down into our passage today in verse 3 through 6, there are two facets of this mystery that Paul aims to illuminate in these verses that I want to quickly highlight. Notice with me in verse 4 that Paul calls it the mystery of Christ. What is in view here is the gospel, it is God's work and salvation for undeserving sinners, it is his plan of redemption for his elect. Church, the mystery is the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on behalf of God's elect for our salvation and to glorify God for his grace forevermore. This is Paul's emphasis in writing in 2 Timothy 1, 8-10. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The second facet that Paul highlights in our passage is found in verse 6. The first is that the mystery is the gospel. The second is a more specific aspect of it that we see here. The mystery, this mystery, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Understand, this is huge news in the time and culture this was written. For the Jews hated the Gentiles and wanted nothing to do with them. But the mystery unveiled the eternal plan of God for his redemption of his people is that God has planned all along to include non-Jews into his covenant, new covenant people, his eternal people. This means both believing Jews and Gentiles now receive the blessing of God. Believing Jews and Gentiles are among the elect. Believing Jews and Gentiles are now brothers and sisters in Christ. So when Paul says in Ephesians 3.3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, that little phrase right there, as I have written briefly, is his reference to what he just wrote in the second half of chapter 2. And what was his emphasis in the second half of chapter 2? That Jews and Gentiles are saved in the new covenant together into one holy and sanctified people of God. Now before we get into the other part of verse 3 where Paul speaks about revelation, the revelation of the mystery, I want us to see first to whom this is a mystery. Look with me at verse 5 which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Who is this? Who is not in on the mystery of this gospel that transforms lives and makes us an eternal part of God's people? Who doesn't see and savor the good news of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? The answer is twofold. Number one, A mystery for all unregenerate people. Anyone who is dead in sin, hear this clearly, whom God has not yet illuminated their heart to give them ears to hear and eyes to see and savor the gospel, they do not truly or fully understand the mystery of God's work to redeem undeserving sinners through Christ on their behalf. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is what Jesus spoke of when he said in Mark 4.11-12 He, Jesus, speaking to the disciples, says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. The mystery has been unveiled for you, in other words. But for those outside, everything is parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they turn and be forgiven. In other words, there is a veil by which the unregenerate do not see and savor the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They may know it intellectually. They may know the history, the matter of fact of it. But they do not know it personally. They do not have faith in it. Trust in it. They're not transformed by it. Why is it not good news and life-changing news? Is because the gospel is still a mystery to them. Think about it. You know many people. You pray for many for whom this is true. A friend, a family member, a co-worker, a spouse, even a child, beloved child in your home. 
there are many here who, who know in your minds the facts about the gospel. You understand these facts, but its saving power is still a mystery to you. It is not taking hold of you like it does when God gives true saving faith. I pray this is God's will for you. That sooner than later you are you see this gospel and it and it grabs you. It 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 overwhelms you. It is good news like nothing you've heard and you repent of your sin and you trust your life to Jesus and you are saved. May it be God's holy will. Only when God has ordained it to be so does the Holy Spirit regenerate the dead heart, giving the elect person saving faith. Only then is the mystery fully unveiled. Only then is God in full view. And His gospel is truly amazing. For those whom God gives ears to hear and eyes to see, they repent and believe. They don't just understand the gospel mentally or historically, but they see that it applies to them. The mystery is unveiled, and it's for them. It's no longer a mystery as one looking in from the outside, wondering what it's like to be saved and sanctified. So the gospel is a mystery to unbelievers. But in this context, Paul also speaks of the layers of the mystery that the Old Covenant people didn't see in full until the New Covenant was established. There are layers and details of God working out the covenant of redemption that was a mystery to the people in the Old Covenant, but has now been made known to all who are saved in the New Covenant. One theologian described it this way. The Old Covenant and God's work and ways in the Old Covenant acted as a scaffolding. While it was a needed and vital part of God's ultimate plan, it was temporary. The building God was constructing via the scaffolding was not yet in full view. Signs and promises and types could be seen, but it wasn't until the work of Christ was complete that the scaffolding was removed. And for many, the building came into full view. The mystery of what God was doing, what He was preparing the people for, what He was pointing the hearts of the elect to was the gospel. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's consider how the mystery can only be understood or unveiled by revelation. Back to verse 3. And let me read it in its context all the way through verse 5. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Back to verse 3. The mystery is made known to me, Paul says, by revelation. What is revelation? A revelation is a making plain or an unfolding of that which was previously hidden or out of sight. We cannot see God with our eyes, but we can 
know him by means of revelation. God has chosen to reveal himself to his creation in different ways. To help us bring understanding, Augustine used this example of physical sight. He said that even those with perfect vision, if they're placed in a room filled with beautiful objects, they could not see any of the beauty if the room were immersed in darkness. They would need illumination by way of revelation to reveal to them what was there. Aquinas said it this way, All truth and all knowledge in the final analysis rest on God as the source of truth, as the one who makes it possible for us to know anything at all. Church, I want us to see how desperate we are for for God's revelation. In theology, we make a distinction between the kinds of revelation of God Most specifically, what is called general revelation and special revelation. For those of you you who have been journeying with us in midweek through our Word of Truth Catechism, we've spent good time here to understand these aspects, and I praise God for for that clarity, and we get to use that now as we look to passages like this in Holy Scripture. So for you, by way of review, and for others by way of understanding, let's first look at what's called general revelation. God's unveiling of himself in all truth is called general for two reasons. Its revelation is general because it is knowledge that is given to everyone. Divine, general revelation is available to all people in the world. Paul gives great clarity to this kind of revelation in his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, and I'll read you verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So you have to excuse that beautiful sound. The perception that he's talking about here is not just with physical sight. It says God's invisible attributes, the ones you can't see, are clearly perceived by the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. What this means is even those who have never heard or read the Bible are still without excuse that they do not worship God as God, for they have lived in the grand theater of His creation, where God has revealed Himself to all creation. This is called general revelation, because God has revealed Himself to all people in this way, in this manner. It's also called general revelation, in that this kind of revelation is general. It's it's without detail about who God is. Okay? One more point on general revelation. General revelation, there is a kind of knowledge that we can have, a cognitive knowledge, which indicates an intellectual awareness of something. This is different than the intimate personal knowledge of something. Again, as I just said moments ago, in mankind's fallen condition, before God gives new birth, illumination, regeneration, mankind does not have the spiritual discernment to believe in God. 
For this, we need God to bring a more specific kind of revelation and illumination. Let's look to special revelation for a moment. Special revelation is how God has chosen to reveal himself through miraculous means. Special revelation includes physical appearances of God, dreams, visions, the written word of God, and most importantly, the incarnate presence of God the Son, Jesus Christ. This is special in that it is intimate because it is not for everyone in the world the same. Within aspects of special revelation are the promises and unveiling of God's plan of redemption. With it, we have the telling of the coming of the Messiah, whether through the prophecy, the theophanies of Old Old Testament, or the written word in the New Testament, the, the the promises of the coming Messiah, the testimonies that testifies of the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, and more. For us today, special revelation is found only in the written word, the holy written word of God. But it wasn't always so. In the Old Testament times, God spoke to certain people directly. There were occasions where he revealed himself through dreams or particular signs. There were times when God revealed himself through the casting of lots, through theophanies, which is physical manifestations of God's presence. Hebrews 1.1 speaks clearly of it this way. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The primary way in which God revealed himself in a special, specific way in the Old Testament was through the prophets. They were called agents of revelation. They functioned as vessels or conduits of divine revelation. This is why they always began their prophecies with these words. Thus says the Lord. God ordained that the words of the prophets were then set down in writing, and this becomes to us the word of God known as the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the counterpart to the Old Testament prophet is the New Testament apostle. The term apostle refers to one who is sent or commissioned with the authority of doing with the with the authority of the one who sent. To be a true apostle, you had to meet three very important qualifications. First, you had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. Second, you had to be personally appointed by Jesus himself. Third, you had to be able to work miracles. So when Paul says in Ephesians 3:3, 3, 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Paul is one of these apostles. God has made known clearly the gospel and the call in his life. He's saying God revealed it to me in a special and direct way, this mystery of the gospel. And then again, listen in verse 5. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. There's layers of clarity and insight and revelation we have about the fullness of, of the plan of God and the covenant of redemption fulfilled in the new covenant that, that Paul is speaking of here, that was given in its fullness in this new covenant revelation given to the holy apostles by the Spirit. How is it revealed to them? By God himself. 
Specifically, Paul says, by the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. Notice that Paul says that they are holy apostles. That word holy, we often think of as really clean. And that's good. But it it means set apart. It's so holy, it's set apart. And the uniqueness of the call on the capital A apostles was very set apart. It was a unique call of God on them in that generation to do a very specific work. Again, when you look at the three qualifications for a capital A apostle whom God used in the birth of the church and the writing of the New Testament, we realize immediately that no one alive today meets these three qualifications. Someone claiming that they are an apostle and have the words of God today is a heretic. Why? Because the biblical qualification is clearly given is that they had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ, personally appointed by Christ himself, and had to be able to work miracles by his appointment. So let's ask, how were they set apart? Well, they were called and gifted by God to do a very particular work in a very particular time. One of the critical roles of the apostles in this was to write what God would ordain to be the New Testament that we're studying here today. In verse 4, Paul says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. This is no small statement. It is Paul's way of testifying just how mighty the special revelation of God is in his written word to us. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Church, what a gift the Word of God is to us. To all of us who belong to Him in His perfect time, that we would study His Word and be given perception, illumination of this mystery unto salvation and sanctification. Paul says, Famously in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The most important special revelation we have today is God's written word, the Bible. Praise God for his mighty will and work to make known to us this wondrous mystery of the gospel and the revelation of our Lord through the written Word of God. I've included a few verses in your notes there for you to look up later and meditate on just how important God's Word is to us for faith and life. One of those verses is Psalm 119.105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when the Word of God is active in our lives, it brings to us the bigger story of God. It illuminates my understanding of who God is and therefore who I am in relationship to Him. So when Paul says in Ephesians 3, 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Understand, this increased perception is everything. When we hold fast to Scripture, it it pulls us into Him. He's now at work in and through us. He's our power, our authority, He's our hope. He's our life. We worship Him. We trust Him. We lean on Him. We enjoy Him. We have true and lasting hope in Christ in all that we face. 
the way Paul speaks in his letter to the Ephesians is so similar to what he says to the church in Colossae. Listen with fresh ears to a passage I've read many times to us, church. It's a wonderful declaration in Colossians chapter 1, 25-27. And hear it in light of what we've studied today. Colossians 1, 25-27. Paul says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is good news, church. It is the gospel. Let's take the last few minutes we have together this morning to to answer the question, why is the mystery good news to us? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Three essential realities of the mystery that is unveiled for us Gentiles that Paul highlights here. Remember, when it speaks of the Gentiles, he's speaking of all of us who are non-Jews by birth. It's including most of us here. Number one, church, we are fellow heirs. The word heirs is a, a special one for Paul. He uses it a number of times in the New Testament writings in key passages. A couple examples I'll read you here. Galatians 3.29 If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So even those who are not ethnic Jews, physically Jews, and their father Abraham, the mystery unveiled is that those who belong to Christ are also Abraham, are also heirs of the promise given to Abraham, we are a part of God's eternal family. We're heirs according to the promise. Romans chapter 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. To be a fellow heir means you also receive all the inheritance as those who belong to the kingdom of God already. All of God's blessing is shared by all of the believers of Christ. So the Gentile, therefore, does not receive a lesser amount than the Jew. The person saved in the last moments of their life does not receive a lesser amount than the person who served God most of their life. This is what Paul wants his saved family to know, that they, what they had in Christ. He, he said this in Ephesians 1.18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We who are saints, sanctified, made holy because of Christ on our behalf, have this glorious inheritance. We're heirs of that. The inheritance is ours too. The riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. What is the the, the, the crown of that, the greatest part of what that inheritance is, is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen? All right, we'll work on that. 
How rich are we in Christ, church? Think about that for you. Do you see how rich you are? You are a co-heir of the inheritance of God, that you fellowship and know God now and forever. There is no treasures, no riches, no position greater than this. We are fellow heirs. Number two, we are members of the same body. In the end of chapter 2, Paul uses key metaphors that we looked at a few weeks ago to describe the church, to describe the redeemed ones, the kingdom of God, the family of God, the temple of God. And now Paul uses one of his favorite metaphors, the body of Christ. Paul dive into this further in chapter 4 of Ephesians. So I don't want to go too far into this today. It's such a rich passage that we'll preach when we get there. But let me show you another place in Holy Scripture where Paul uses this potent metaphor um, to highlight our most precious reality that we have in Christ. It's also in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. Paul says, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So though many, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul uses an illustration of a human body to show us just how connected we are in Christ. Like the members of our body, our physical bodies, are utterly dependent and connected to each other. So we, the members of the body of Christ, are members of one another. We're no longer alone. We're no longer separated. We now belong to the holy body of Christ. We are members, church, of that same body. Number three, we are partakers of the promise. This again is in reference to the promise made in the covenant of redemption. The covenant or the promise that is made in eternity past between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Consider Paul's words in Galatians 3.14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Or, or as Paul speaks to this in Romans 9, 8, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. In all of this, church, is the good news of, that Paul is aiming to highlight here in this passage. We too are partakers of the promise. The promise is not for some other group outside of us. And we, we look at it from a distance. Oh, what would it be like to be partakers of that promise? We who are saved in Christ, no matter your ethnic background, no matter your financial status, no matter your, 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 your social status, no, no matter what you've been part of, in Christ you are forgiven, you are made new, you are adopted, you are, you are brought in fully into the kingdom of God, the family of God, the body of Christ. You are partakers of this glorious promise of God to have for Himself a people now and forever. To close, look with me at verse 6 again. This mystery 
is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So how are we, Gentiles, fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise? Hear me clearly. By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is only because of God's grace and and because of nothing we've done. It is only through an exercise of faith, of trusting in Him, and nothing we do. And it is only by believing and trusting ourselves, giving ourselves to Jesus as Lord, Jesus alone, are we saved. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson said it well when he wrote, Praise God that every Christian believer from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation is in on the secret. What was hidden in God's eternal plan, but only unveiled was understood by the prophets, has now been realized in Christ Jesus and revealed to us through the apostolic preaching in the scripture. It is a secret, is a secret to us who believe no more. Holy Scripture is clear, church, that the mystery, the wonderful blessings and redemption and inclusion that Paul just described is only for those whom God saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is Jesus alone who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God and between us and each other. Church, they will not believe in whom they have not heard. Out there. Maybe even here today. We the messengers, the witnesses, as we've discussed last week, must do our part to testify the gospel of Jesus and preach His holy word faithfully and fully. Paul says in Colossians 4.3, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Christ. The declaring of the mystery of Christ is Paul's focus in our coming verses here in chapter 3 of Ephesians. We'll study this more next week. But as you prepare to go this week, come behold the wondrous mystery and worship God for all that He is and has done. If not saved prior to this sermon, the gospel is beautiful, good news to you, then repent and believe and be saved and worship God as a new creation. Saved and sanctified, complete in the work of Christ. Let us be sure, church, to proclaim this gospel to all of those to whom it is still a mystery. And if it be God's will, they will be saved and fellow heirs and members of Christ's body and partakers of the promise to be saved and sanctified in God forever. Amen? Stand with me and let's pray and let's sing as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. Father God, we thank You for this time in Your Holy Word. We thank You for the unveiling that you're doing, the the clarity you're bringing, the, the work that you're doing in each of our lives. You are a good God, worthy to be praised, 
We thank you, Lord, for sustaining your word that we can study it. This revelation written, the holy word of God. Lord, given us a greater hunger for your word to not only hear it preached on a Sunday morning, but to long to study it day by day throughout our days. Lord, that you would be worshipped, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that people once looking to the gospel as a mystery, it is unveiled to them. It is a mystery no more. For your plan from before eternity was to save an undeserving people through the perfect work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And, and we who trust in Him are made new, are born again, are saved and sanctified to the lives you called us to live for your glory. And so we worship you, we praise you for the unveiling of this wondrous mystery Hear us now, Lord God, as we sing, as we testify in the Lord's Supper. Be praised. In Jesus' name we pray.